The Christian life isn't difficult. It's impossible. The Christian life isn't just difficult. It is impossible. Yesterday in our journal reading, it was Psalm 4. And in Psalm 4, verse 4, it reads, Be angry, yet do not sin. Which is very easy when you've got a cup of coffee in your hand and the Bible's open and you're just... But when it's Thursday night and Baylor blows out the Sooners, it is impossible to be angry and not sin. You'll experience that when the Chiefs lose in a couple weeks. The Christian life isn't difficult, it's impossible. Because the Christian life is a life that is to mirror God Himself. And He is not like us. He has a standard that we cannot meet. We are powerless to on our own come up with any kind of Pure and spotless holiness. But God does the impossible for us. And what we're going to see today, from some from the Old Testament and some from the New, is that we have been set apart. And that there is a willful choice that we are to make. And that is to be holy as God is holy. And we are powerless to get it done. It's always been that way. It's been that that way from the very beginning. And I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Leviticus Chapter 19, and as you're turning there, I just want to begin by asking this question. What is up with Leviticus? Have you read Leviticus? You know, a lot of times people will come to me and they'll say, Hey, Hank, I am going to read the Bible. And so they crack open the Bible and they start in Genesis and they are just, they're soaking in the stories and they're seeing creation and then, and then how God chose a people to represent him in the world through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. Then they get into Exodus and the story continues how the people of God go into slavery and God raises up Moses to lead the people out of slavery. And you're like, all right, Leviticus. And things can easily get derailed in Leviticus. So what is Leviticus all about? Well, there's a purpose to the book. And the purpose of the book of Leviticus is to show how we can worship and serve a holy God. It is a work that was given from God through Moses to the people on how God made it possible For broken and sinful people to relate to a holy God. You see, it is impossible on our own 
to be holy as God is holy, but he made a way that they could know him, to worship him and to serve him. And that's what Leviticus is. It's a it's an, a written letter from God to his people on how they were to relate to him in the Old Testament. Now, within the book of Leviticus, there were these practices that God had set up that the people were to be very faithful with. In fact, they were supposed to uh, to keep these regulations. And what we find are offerings, feasts, and rules for the priests. Offerings, feasts, rules for the priests. Offerings, feasts, rules for the That's what's in Leviticus. Rules and regulations about offerings, feasts, and rules for the priests. And now you know everything there is to know about Leviticus. Now, tucked in the middle of Leviticus is chapter 16. In chapter 16, even though we'll be in 19, chapter 16 lays out a regulation for the priests called the Day of Atonement. This was a, an annual event that was set up by God that one priest, the chief priest or the high priest, would go inside a tent called the tabernacle. The tabernacle was, was a mobile house of worship that as the people of God moved, as God's spirit led them, they would pack up their church building And they would set it up. And it was a tent. But inside that tent was a big, thick curtain. And on the other side of that curtain was the Ark of the Covenant and other holy objects. And that is where the true presence of God dwelled. It was a holy place. And only one priest on one day of the year could enter into that place. To bring sacrifice for the sins of the people. And this day of atonement was an annual payment on a credit card bill called sin. And they had to do this practice to meet the minimum payment. So that the people could maintain a relationship with God. The priest we have in Leviticus had to meet his own personal holiness standard in order to function in this way. And then they tied a rope around his ankle that had little bells on it. And so he would go in, he would go into the curtain, he had to stand and not touch anything except that which he was supposed to sacrifice for the people. And there would be other priests listening outside for jingle, 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 jingle. And if the jingle stopped, well, he was dead. Because he either was defiled himself or he did something wrong and it cost him his life because God is holy. And they had the rope to pull that brother out. That is what we find in the book of Leviticus. It is how we can serve and worship a holy God. And God set up practices through his people as well as through leaders that they could Maintain and sustain a relationship with Him. Because we have always been part of His plan. From the very beginning, God had chosen a people to represent Him in the world so that the world could know Him. 
and understand the love of God for them. And God's people are called to be holy, set apart to God. We're called to be holy. And when I talk about holiness this morning, I'm not just talking about a a mystical sense of spirituality. I'm going to be talking about a willful decision to be like God and how it's possible that we can do that. So this isn't so much talking about being spiritual as much as it is about the very real choice that we make or that we need to make each day to worship and serve the Lord. Holiness, we can read in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, is God's standard. In verse 2, it says, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. This is a command of God. So on the one hand... We are holy by being called the people of God. There is a standing in which we have that we are set apart to God and he views us as holy. But then there's also the reality that we are not holy yet in our daily actions. And we are to be holy as God is holy. Forty-nine times in the book of Leviticus we see the phrase, I am the Lord or I am Yahweh. In the book of Leviticus, the main thrust that God wants his people to understand is who he is and who they represent. And he says, I am the Lord. Be holy as I am holy. And the problem that occurs in the rest of the Old Testament is the people of God failing to meet that standard. Over and over and over. And the name of God gets thrown under the bus in the world. Turn with me over to 1 Peter. But we're going to be in the New Testament as well. In 1 Peter chapter 1, go to Revelation and turn left. A few books. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. I want to spend a little bit of time on this because we can go, well, there's lots of things in Leviticus that we don't follow anymore. Number one, we don't function as Levitical priests anymore. We don't make offerings and sacrifices in the way that they did. So does God's standard change when we come into the New Testament? Well, let's see this for ourselves. 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 14, says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And God's people said, Oh, man! It's the same standard. 
So while there are some commands in the Old Testament we don't follow, the one we can't follow is the one that we are given. I want to look at a few things in this passage. Look back at the top of the screen. It says, as obedient children. Being part of the family of God is a change of status. There was a time that if we are outside of God's family, meaning we do not have faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, we were objects of God's wrath. And that we were outside the family of God. And in that condition, we have a judgment that's been made. We are to perish in our rebellion and our willful choice to reject God. But when you place your faith in Christ, you have a new standing. One of the works that Jesus did for us is called justification. We are justified. That means to be made right with God. Have any of you ever gotten out of a ticket? Raise your hand. I want to see you. Okay. So that means you went and made your case. And you came in as an offender. You walked out justified. No payment due. Well, that is what Jesus did for us. And we have a standing with God. We have been set apart by the work of Christ. And we are now called his children. So that when he looks at you and me, it's not with shame or guilt or disappointment. He's, you're my very own child. Isn't that good? Look at this next statement. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. I was in Walmart the other day. My battery died, and so it was under warranty. It's one of the only times that something actually broke under warranty. Yes! That never happens to me. So I leave my car, I go into Walmart, and just a few minutes later, a call went out over the Walmart PA. David Hinkle? Automotive, please. Now, everyone in the store heard the call. But it was a unique call just for me. Everyone heard it. But I heard my name. Did you grow up in a neighborhood where it was okay to ride your bike? You remember those days? Now we have to stay on the sidewalk and wear funny helmets and... You know, for safety and all that. Well, there was a whistle that I would hear, that all my friends would hear, that would be for me. Did you guys have that? The call? Doesn't matter who heard it, you knew it was you. Look at this. The living God, the holy God has called you. And this is a call that goes out to all the world. But yet he's called you. And you know. It's for me. 
Because there's been a change that has been made for us. There's this standard that we are set apart to act like God. But that means that we are set apart from the world. From the world. There's something that we are set apart to, which is to the Lord, but there's something that we're set apart from. It's from the things of the world. If we go back to 1 Peter 1, verse 14, it says, As obedient children, as people that enjoy a new standing with God, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. (laughs) Ignorance is a harsh word. But it just simply means you can't know what you don't know. If you're ignorant, you just don't know. And when we were in a place of disobedience, we did the very things that were natural to us to pursue our own self-will at whatever cost. And to pursue either the lies that are given to us from our enemy about where true significant lies in achievement or in personal satisfaction and fulfillment. We did by nature those things. The problem is, is the things of the world always leave us hungry for something more. If we throw ourselves into achievement, there's always another bar to meet. There's always another industry to enter. And so we can continue to chase it, but at great personal cost. We can place our hope and our fulfillment on relationships and think that a relationship will fill the void of our soul. But the cost of that is having too much expectation for your spouse to fill, that they feel like that they can't ever meet everything that you need from them. And then marriages can just spin because you're not meeting my expectations. Well, Jack, you haven't been meeting my expectation for 15 years. But I guess we'll just stay in this deal for the kids. With the things of the world, there is always a catch. For those of you who are still longing to find that companion, that person to fill your heart, you're moving from bed to bed and from apartment to apartment to find the longing of your heart and it's leaving you empty. And there is a catch, isn't there? That's why God is wanting to call us away from the things of the world. Because only He can satisfy, not a Snickers bar. There's a catch with a Snickers bar. There's always a catch with the world. And this is a challenge that that people outside of Christ face and those who are in Christ. We face it every day. And the Apostle Paul talked about this. He talked about it in Romans 7. He said, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those are the things that I keep on doing. 
And he's caught in this tension. He writes later in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul talks about this tension. He's like, I don't want to conform to the things of the world, but I keep on doing the things that I don't even want to do. He says, who can rescue me? In the very last verse of Romans 7, he says, thanks be to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we are set apart by Christ because he alone can rescue us from ourselves. Who can rescue you? from this pull of former passions? Only Jesus. Let's consider what he did for us. The book of Hebrews is an incredibly important book. And as we spent time reading in Leviticus this week, we also spent time reading in Hebrews chapter 10. And I'd like you to go to Hebrews chapter 10. And I want to call to your memory the work of a chief priest who would enter into the tabernacle for us. So I want you to keep those images in your mind. I want you to hear the jingle, jingle, jingle of the little rope that was tied around the priest's ankle. Have in your mind him carrying in the animal sacrifice to shed its blood for the sins of the people. Listen to this in Hebrews 10. And by that will... We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Remember, those sacrifices just met the minimum balance to keep God's wrath at bay. So every priest would go through his rituals to keep the wrath of God at bay. Verse 12, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus did what no human could do. You see, a human priest was called to go into a physical tent or temple, to go behind a physical curtain and lay a physical animal on an altar for the sins of people. But Jesus physically put himself on a cross And the image we get from Scripture is that Jesus didn't enter into a a representation of the presence of God, but He went into the throne room of God Himself. And Jesus didn't have a lamb in His arms. He didn't have a bull in His arms. He laid Himself down and bled for us once and for all. 
But don't miss this. It says, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down. The priest could not stay in the holy presence of God. He had to stand and he had to leave. Jesus sat down on the throne of God because that is where he belongs. You see, his sacrifice accomplished everything. We have been set apart by him. It is by his work. This impossible standard that we cannot meet was met for us through Jesus. He is our rescue. If you find yourself in a place where you have not really understood what Jesus did for you, let me share it with you. Because you need to understand, if you are looking for a way out of, of sin, of shame, of guilt, of labels that you wear, either that you put there yourself that you're not lovable, or that a label someone else has given you, that you're stupid, that you won't amount to anything, if you want those labels peeled off of you, This is the way out. You must understand and believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And He died on the cross for your sin. Because He is fully man and fully God, He died physically, but death could not hold Him because He was a perfect sacrifice. And He rose from the dead to prove the truth of the claims that he's made. To have saving faith is to believe and agree that you need a savior. You need a substitute. You need someone else to pay for your sin. And that it was Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for you and rose from the dead. Saving faith begins with understanding that and agreeing and saying simply, I believe. And that produces a heart change within that moves you to turn away from the former things that you used to chase to say, no, now I want to look to Him and be like Him. Saving faith produces a change of heart. And you are given a gift and that gift is a new standing with God that you are forgiven from your sin and that you are given another special gift and that is the presence of God within you. Through the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who empowers us to say no to the things of the world and say yes to the things of Christ. The more we say yes, the more that we understand that we've made the better choice. The more we understand with greater clarity the will of God for us, the more we say yes to Him. We grow in our Holiness, because it's His power at work in us. You see, Christ set us apart. Only He did that. But it is our choice to live it out. 
You see, we are set apart for a purpose. We are set apart for the name of Christ in the world. We are set apart for the name of Christ in the world. We receive through the work of Jesus so many awesome things. Freedom from sin, freedom from shame, grace, peace. We receive the Holy Spirit and we get love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. But there is a far greater purpose for your salvation than simply for you to be a beneficiary of it. Because from the beginning of time, God has had a plan to use His people to make Him known in the world. You know that special and unique call we looked at? We are the ones that God uses to make His call. We're the ones who speak into the PA to the world. Joe says it all the time. Plan A, you are the plan. Plan B, there is no plan B. We are set apart and called to be holy to represent the name of Christ so that He can be made known and that others can hear this special and unique call that is their name too. So our personal holiness matters. Look at Hebrews 10, verses 19 again. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. In the Old Testament, only, only one priest one time a year could go into the holy place. Then we know that Jesus went into the holiest of places, the very presence of God. But look at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... We get access to God by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We get to have access to God. Because something happened. God took the holiness of Christ. It's like a robe. And when you believe and trust in Christ, you're wrapped in Christ's own holiness. That's what makes you good. To be in the presence of God. Because you're covered by Christ himself. It's through his blood. You don't have to have someone else pray for you. You can go directly to the Lord. Now as you wrote in these notes. There was something that was planned. It says we are set apart. 
to God. We are called to be separate, set apart from the world. We are called to be set apart by Christ and to represent His name in the world. And when you read Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, there's all this y'all talk. Let us hold to the confession of our hope. Let us stir up one another toward love and good works because Lone Ranger Christianity does not work. It doesn't work. We get too easily distracted by the things that pull at us every day. But when we walk with one another, we see the work of God in the lives of others. And it encourages us. We point each other to things that truly matter and have true eternal weight. Like serving and worshiping God. It gives us strength to say no to the things on a daily basis so we can say yes to the things of Christ. If you are walking alone and you are in Christ, you don't have to live that way. And all it takes is some more people to walk with you. That's why we're committed to small groups and other kinds of groups, finding hope groups, Panera groups, coffee groups, lunch groups. There's usually a theme of food. Because we all need that encouragement. Let me leave you with this thought. God brings the power. You bring the willingness. He's like, we're like a broken down truck. And he is a much larger, more powerful truck who comes along and he he hitches a link to his truck and then there's a cable that's linked to ours. And he holds all the power. But as he is guiding us home, we have to turn as he turns. We have to follow as he, as he moves. We can, we can turn the opposite way. But his word says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. He is taking us home. And it is his power that's moving us. We must be willing on the journey. Daily, to turn as he turns. Will you surrender your will to the one who has set you apart? May we all be holy today as he's holy. Because he's taken us home. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness for us. Your work for us. You did everything for us. You entered the holy place. You sacrificed yourself to set us apart for your name. Lord, today at Fellowship Bible Church, we surrender our will to you to follow you and to be like you. Help us to say no so that we may say yes to Christ. In your holy name we pray. Amen.